Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 12, 21 through 34. And our pew Bibles, for those that like to follow along, is 921. This is a beautiful passage that Jesus speaks that we need to understand more deeply than just reading past it. He's finishing up a parable in verse 21 and then follows with description. So he who lays up treasures for himself in heaven is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Oh, how much more valuable are you than the birds? Of which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his statue? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? For consider the lilies, how they grow, neither toil nor spin, and I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grasses, which today is in the field, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. All these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart all be also. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. It is always good to have the opportunity to worship God and to be together with brothers and sisters. If you are driving a gray pickup truck that's parked in this back corner of this parking lot here, you might want to move your truck. Uh, yesterday, that whole back corner, uh, not just of the back parking lot, of this parking lot out here, uh, was flowing like a little river. And if it continues... That will probably be happening by the time Bible class is over, so you might want to move your truck if you're in that area. We are looking forward to next weekend, hoping that maybe it'll be a little drier for the purpose of the fact that we're reaching out to single mothers to try to bless their life and, and make their life a little better by helping with their car care. And so if you want to help and be a part of that, there are several ways you can do that. One way is making sure that you pick up the flyers for the single mom car care clinic that are in the middle uh, information center here just out of these middle back doors and take them to individuals that are single mothers that you work with. Maybe they're part of your family. 
uh, maybe they're neighbors that you have, and simply let them know that if they can call us and make a reservation so that we can streamline the activities of the day, that there will uh, be an oil change, checking the fluids, looking over the car to just see any recommendations that might keep their car in the safe working order, and then also even to clean and detail their car. It really was a tremendous blessing last year to all that came and were recipients of those gifts. And then also, of course, it was a tremendous blessing for all that worked in it and that gave. Uh, The Lord tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you want to be a part of this work in actually helping with the day itself, there are many women that are needed because as the ladies come in and taking care of their children and visiting with them, as well as uh, many men that are needed, whether uh, men or women in the cleaning up, usually it's men in the oil change. I'm sure if some of you women are mechanics and would want to do that, you would be welcome to do that too. Uh, But the plans tonight, uh, or for everyone that wants to help with this to meet immediately after services uh, to uh, firm up any plans and to make any other uh, types of organizational plans that need to be made. So be sure and be planning on that and be prayerful that good will come from that and, and most importantly that God receive the glory. If the Mount Juliet congregation ceased to exist tomorrow, would anyone in the community notice or care? And we want to be the type of neighbor that those in the community would see the love of the Lord in us and they would definitely notice our Lord and they would care about our Lord. As I show you, and I know from where you're sitting, you probably can't see it, but if I show you a paper clip and I told you that I wanted to trade this paper clip for a house... Are you game? Would anyone here trade me their house for a paperclip? What if you said, hey, I wouldn't trade you my house for a paperclip? And I said, that's okay. I'll trade somebody a house for a paperclip. Would you believe that it's possible? You know, Kyle McDonald in 2005 blogged about a journey that he wanted to begin. As he blogged, he simply stated, I'm sitting at my computer and to the right of my keyboard is a red paper clip. I plan on trading this paper clip up until I eventually trade for a house. You can come back to this blog and you can keep up with my journey. But right now, I just need to know who has anything that they will trade for my red paper clip. And he said, by the way, I'll come in person to make the trade. Over the next year, he drove many miles, and he made only 14 trades. But his final trade was with a town in Canada. And the town actually called him and said, we would like to be your final trade. We have a house on Main Street. We've decided that we will trade you this house. Now, 14 trades later, One year, his red paperclip usually, absolutely produced a house. You see, when I first started that and I said, would you trade a house? Do you think I could trade a house? Probably everyone here doubted it. Probably everyone here said it would be impossible. No, it's happened. It happened between 2005 and 2006, July 12th. If a man can be that creative, 
if a man can do that much with small things, I ask you this morning, how much can God do with small things? If you want to manage your affairs, you're in limited control. And there's no security. But if you allow God to manage your life and your affairs, you can accomplish a lot more than what any man could accomplish. Throughout this month, we have five Sundays. We have some other topics that we will cover other than stewardship because we have various things that's happening either in the life of our nation or the life of our our church family. But at least three of the five Sundays, we want to talk about a very, very important topic. And it's the topic of stewardship. How is it that we use the life that God gives us? How is it that we use the opportunities that God gives us? How is it that we use the possessions that God gives us? How is it that we use the income and the finances that God gives us? And if you're thinking, hmm... I wonder if this is related to the fact that we're kind of in an economical turndown and, and, and maybe the elders have asked him to preach in hopes that this would raise the offering. No. We are studying about something so much more important than money throughout this. We're studying about your life. We're studying about your soul. We're asking this simple question. Do you trust God? You see, God wants to know what you'll do with everything that He's placed in your hands. And a matter of fact, it's such an important topic to God. He speaks on this topic perhaps more than any other topic that He ever writes about. Far more times than He speaks about love, He talks about what you'll do with your finances. Far more than He talks about He talks about what you would do with the possessions that He gives you. Listen, you would be hard-pressed to find a topic that is mentioned more often and taught as in any greater depth than stewardship. The truth is, it's frustrating. It's frustrating to try to write only three lessons about something that literally needs probably a four or five month study to even begin, not to touch all of them, but just to touch several of the passages that deal with the many, many passages of stewardship. This morning, when we look to Luke, the 12th chapter, we see that Jesus taught a parable. And in a moment, we'll get to this parable. If you want to glance at it, it's Luke 12. And and you'll notice down in verse 16, 17, 18, and 19. And I'll just quickly mention to you what the parable is, and then we're going to back up for just a moment. The parable was where a rich man actually put seed in the ground. You see, he's working in accordance with God. You realize that's what every farmer does. They work in accordance with God. They realize that God in his nature has provided a certain time of the year to plant and a certain way to plant, and you work according to God, and you produce a harvest. And this particular har- uh, farmer worked according to the harvest that God gave of a natural sense, but he didn't want to work according to God in a spiritual sense. And so what... What he did was whenever he received this great plentiful, and by the way, the word plentiful there is literally the same Greek word that we get euphoria out of. In other words, this man, his crop was so abundant, it was, it was a, a euphoria for him. And so he began to think, what, what is it that I need to do because I've got so much? And so then he began to act. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns. And then he began to reason. Wow. 
I've got enough. I can just kick back. I can retire. I can eat, drink, and be merry. I can say to my soul, you have everything that you need. And then the Lord gives a summary of this. And the summary is, fool. Anyone who takes the possessions and treasures them up for themselves is a fool. Why? We ought to be rich toward God. Now what would lead to this kind of story? It's real interesting in the scriptures anytime we can study a story behind the story. I'd like for you to look with me, and we're on 921 if you want to open up the Bibles there in your pews. And and look at verse 13, and let's see the story behind the story. And in Luke 12 and verse 13, then one from the crowd said to him, so Jesus is up teaching, and one from the crowd literally interrupts his teaching. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. That seems almost unthinkable, isn't it? That, that Jesus would be teaching like, like we think of in maybe a Bible class setting or maybe what we think about, maybe even like a worship setting, and someone just interrupts and says, Hey, my brother's getting all the inheritance, and I realize that you're a powerful man. You preach and you speak with such authority. I want you, Jesus, to take up for me, and I want you to tell my brother to give me some of the inheritance. You see, that would have been common that day and time because under their customs, their culture would have given much of the inheritance to the older son. The oldest son would often have as much as four-fifths of the inheritance and sometimes all of the inheritance. So you can imagine this younger son probably is covetous. I can't believe it. My brother's getting it all. Where's that going to leave me? How am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to be able to compete with my brother? Now he's going to really look like he has really succeeded in life and, and I'm going to really look like I'm a failure in life. You see, that's the reasoning, that's the mindset that comes behind an identity that's found in possessions. And so Jesus, he answers this young man or this man in 14 and he said, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? In other words, he says, you're going to bring up things that I don't deal with. In other words, if you want the Lord to settle covetous ways for you, The Lord says, I don't deal in covetous ways. I'm not on this earth to make you rich. I'm not on this earth to see if if I can help you pile up greater possessions so that you can put even greater trust in greater possessions. Well, what is the Lord going to teach him here? Look in 15, he said to him, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Now let's pause there for a moment. What's take heed? Take heed means to stare at. The Lord says, I want to give you something that you better look straight in the eye. Then he says, beware. Actually, the root word of beware is literally isolation. He says, I want you to realize that you're in a situation of danger. And you better have your eyes open and you better be ready to protect yourself. So the Lord is giving this man a lesson. This man's all worried about, I'm not getting the possessions I want. And he says, Look my teachings right in the eye and realize the danger you're standing in right now. Well, what is it? He says, beware of covetousness. And here's the answer. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, you see, the bottom line was this man that was interrupting Jesus 
did not trust in God. He trusted in his riches. He trusted in possessions. He even trusted in riches that he didn't have. My life is going to be set. My life is going to be better if I can just get part of my brother's inheritance that he had. And the Lord very clearly says, your life doesn't consist of the abundance that you have. How do you define life? Do you trust in God or do you trust in riches? No man can serve two masters, for either he'll love the one and hate the other, or else he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve both. Which do you trust in? Let's ask some questions that maybe you'll never be in a situation where you have to answer these questions, but maybe it'll reveal to you so that you can see whether or not you trust in God or you trust in riches. If you had to make a decision right now for your children for the rest of their life, that your children for the rest of their life would make slightly above minimum wage, but they would be close to God, or they could always have a six-figure salary and still be good religious people, but lukewarm. In other words, not right with God. They'd make a six-figure salary. Because of that, they'd be able to write a pretty nice check to the Lord. They'd be able to do some good, but they would never be serious in their relationship with God. Remember the, the churches of Asia, the lukewarm, the Lord says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. So which would you want for your children? If they're lukewarm, they're probably still going to be a pretty good husband and wife. They're going to be probably a pretty good mother or father. But they're never going to have a right relationship with God. If you had to make that choice, which would you choose for your children? Where do you put your trust? When you introduce yourself to someone, do you hope that they're going to kind of figure out which car you drive? Do you hope that they're going to kind of figure out which house you live in? Do you hope that some way the conversation could some way come around so that you could give some kind of hint of the size of your portfolio, 401K, IRAs, whatever it may be? Or is your immediate thought when you meet someone, I hope I can figure out some way to introduce them to the Lord? Where's your trust? Right now, if you found out that everything you owned financially and physical was lost, or you could make the choice to find out that your relationship with God was over, which one would you choose if you had to choose between one or the other? I hope throughout this month, if you struggle to answer any of those to realize that by far the greatest blessing that we ever have is putting our trust in God, that we will never find true trust in riches. We will never find trust in things that are temporal. Our greatest security that's ever offered to us is having trust in that which is eternal. I hope this month that you'll give a careful consideration to to several of the passages, but I hope it'll take you even deeper in the Scriptures so you'll study the hundreds of other passages that deal with this same teaching. Because, friends... When we think that the topic of what we do with our life and with our finances and with our possessions is about them, that literally reveals to us we are trusting in the possessions. But when we realize that the study of stewardship is all about our relationship with God, and it's about saying, God, I want to use whatever you give me in your service. And so let's read this story just a moment. And and as we get into it, look at verse 16. And and as we look at this, 
you know, there's several ways you can study a text and, and, and come at it from different angles and learn much. This morning, the angle I'd like for us to look at this is, what was missing? We have a story here where at the end of this story, in other words, Jesus has been interrupted by this man, and he says, okay, I want to try to teach you something by making up this story. I'm going to give you a parable. It's going to be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he's going to tell him a story, and there are some very important things missing in this story. Look, if you will, 16 and 17. He spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. That's euphoria. It it, it yielded so much. It was just so great. But look in verse 17. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Now, what's missing right there? When you have increase in your life, What's the very first thing you do? You know, for those that are spiritual, for those that have their trust in God, immediately there's something that takes place at this point that is never mentioned in this story. The first thing that this man should have said at this point was, wow, with this great increase, how much am I going to give to God? That should always be our first response to increase. What am I going to give to God? Now, we can look at several passages. Let's, let's look at some of these quickly. And, and if you've heard me preach very long, you know one of the hardest things for me to do is look at passages quickly because I love to talk about the setting them up and all that's applied. But I'm going to try really hard over these next few minutes just so you can see the, a few of the many passages in the Scriptures. When we go to Proverbs, the third chapter, I'd like for you to notice verse 9 and 10. And by the way, many of you, if I were to ask you to list five of your favorite verses in the Bible, many of you would list Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I hear many saying, this is my favorite passages in the Bible. And notice, it starts out 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. And so we get fired up about that. I want to trust in God with all of my heart. Okay, well, how are we going to do that? Look in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, that's interesting. This man was going to fill his barns with plenty, but he wasn't going to do what this passage said to do. In other words, he was going to put seeds in the ground that wasn't going to be, bring a good harvest in the future. Keep in mind, what you're enjoying or not enjoying today is a result of the seeds that you have planted in the past. And what you will or won't enjoy in the future in your spiritual life will be a result of the seeds that you do or you don't put in the ground now. And so here the Lord is giving us insight through Solomon. Solomon speaking to his son. Keep in mind, Solomon was a very wealthy man. And he says to his son, I want you to look at all the possessions you have and I want you to make sure that you honor God with the way you use your possessions. And then he speaks to him about increase. And he says, now, every time, and the reason I say every time, look, he says all, with the first fruits of all your increase. He says, every time you have an increase in life. Did you make anything this past week? Every time you have an increase in life, he says, I want you to give God the first fruits. What's first fruits mean? First. It's the first and best. When someone says, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pay my bills, and after I pay my bills, I'm going to figure out what I have left for God. You may be giving, but you are not giving in a way that God has commanded or a way that God can bless. Please ask yourself this question. 
do you trust God? If you trust God, you will not give Him your leftovers. If you trust God, you trust Him enough to say, I will give you the first part every time of all increase. That is the way we honor Him. Now, when we go to Matthew, the sixth chapter, it's interesting the setting for Matthew, the sixth chapter. We go all the way back up to verse 19. And where he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We go down to 24 where he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. We go down to 25 and following. And this is where he reminds us that our food, our our shelter, our very stature, everything about us is a gift from God. And we we should not spend our time worrying about it. If God's going to take care of the birds of the air, make sure they have a nest. If God's going to clothe the lilies of the field, how much greater is he going to take care of you? And probably one of the most oftentimes quoted passage out of context. And I'm not saying we walk away with the wrong teaching from it, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we understood this one in its context? Another one, when you say, what's your favorite verse? So many people will say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know what that verse is about? It's all about finances. It's all about your means. Literally, he's saying, okay, Don't worry about if you're going to have shelter. Don't worry about if you're going to have clothing. Don't worry about if you're going to have food if it comes down to this. Hmm, am I going to give to God the first fruits may increase or am I going to worry about food? Somebody says, now wait a minute, preacher, that's pretty serious. I didn't write it, I'm just reading it. Jesus, in that great sermon on the mount, says, if you have so little that you're concerned about how you're going to put food on the table and you want to make sure that you have food on the table, you better trust God. Okay, God, I trust you. What do you want me to do? I want you to take the first part of what you make and I want you to give it to me. But God, you know that I have children I really want to feed. Okay, are you going to trust me or not? Yes, Lord, I trust you. Okay, I want you to give me the first fruit. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness and all these things. And in the context, all these things, it's the food, the shelter, the clothing, all these things will be added to you. Friends, it's not about the dollars. God owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides. God owns it all. God doesn't need your money. God needs your trust. God places it in our hands to give us the opportunity to prove that we truly do trust Him. What was missing? What was missing in this story was at the point that this man should have said, here's what I'm giving back to God. All he did was scratch his head and say, wow, that's such a big increase. I don't think I have barns big enough to put it in. So that leads us to the next verse here. Look with me, if you will, down to verse 18. And we're back now, again, in Luke, the 12th chapter. You see there in verse 18, where he says, So he said, I will do this. I will pull down... Now, now notice these personal pronouns here. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There I will store all my crops and my goods. So notice here what this man was missing, 
was an understanding of his purpose in life. He wasn't understanding that, that his purpose was that, that he was to be a blessing to others because God has been a blessing to him. Instead, he thought that all of this was about him. Let's pause here for just a moment. And, and I'm, I'm talking to myself, and I hope you'll let the Word of God talk to you. We're not, we're not preaching at each other. We're simply saying, I want to leave here this morning with a greater trust in God. Do you believe that God gives you everything that He has given you just because He wants you to hoard it up? Or He wants you to spend it all on you? Do you believe that He's given you everything that He's given you because He wants you to spend it on your family? Kind of like my family, us five and no more. Is that, is that why God gives? Because that is the human reasoning. I work hard, and, and I'm going to take care of my own, and I've got to take care of the future, and, and I've got to have something passed down to my kids. Is, is that why God gives to us? So we can have a mindset of, I've got to hoard this up. We've got to spend it on us. Let's look at some scriptures that would give us insight to this. As we think about our purpose for living, go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, is a powerful passage to study in this because in, in Deuteronomy 8, we have the children of Israel leaving Egyptian slavery and they're going over to the promised land. And when they get to the promised land, keep in mind, they're going from slavery, they're going to, it's going to be a conquest. They're going to take over cities. They're not going to a desolate land and, and, and having to rebuild. They're literally going in and taking over cities where literally they're going to have magnificent houses to live in from day one. They're going to have vineyards and, and cattle on hillsides and minerals in the ground. They literally are going to go from slavery and wilderness wandering to riches. And God knows the danger of that. And so notice what he says here in 17 and 18. And we could read a lot more than just Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. But, but this will get us right to the heart of this. Then you say in your heart, Moses is warning them. This is what's, what could happen to you if you're not careful. Then you will say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Do you hear what Moses is saying? He's saying, listen, when God gives you this, don't start saying to yourself, it's my power that did this. It's my wealth that did this. Hey, it, it's me that gets up and, and, and works at 5 in the morning till, till 10 at night. I'm the one that gets out there and works hard to manage everything. I'm the one that brings home the paycheck. I'm the one that's provided this big house. The children of Israel coming out of slavery, going to that, Paul, so Moses warns them and says, listen, this is going to be your temptation. You're going to want to start taking credit for it, believing that now it's all about you. And he says, remember God. Do you remember the purpose that God's given for you? Do you see your life when it comes to your possessions, opportunities, finances? Do you see your life as a reservoir, a big holding tank? Or do you see your life as a conduit? If you're going to take away a, a mental image from this morning's lesson and you're going to mull it over and you're going to pray about it and you're going to study more about it, I hope this is the mental image you take with you. What is your life? What do you count successful? If you die at, at 100 years old or if you die next week, 
What's success? Is success how many different areas God has used you as a conduit to bless so many lives? Or is success to you? Well, I'll tell you what. I hope I'm able to leave at least a million or a million five to my kids. What's success? And even greater than that, what would God count as success? Is God giving you what He has given you so it can be a reservoir? Or is He giving it to you so that you can channel it, so that you are used to be a blessing to so many others. Look with me, if you will, 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9, and and I wish we could read several of these verses here. But notice verse verse 7 and 8. He's already talked about in verse 6 and 7 about you sow uh, in in, in a uh, stingy way and you're going to reap in a stingy way. You sow in a bountiful way and you're going to reap in a lot of plenty. And then we come to verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now let's pause there for a moment. You see, if, if we pick that one verse out, we would say, see, even to God, it's all about money. He just wants us to give. He just... And, and you say, whoa, 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 put it in his context. Read the next verse. Why does God give to us? Not so we can be a reservoir. Look, look why he gives to us. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace. And in this verse here, really, for, uh, the 8th chapter and the ninth chapter is all about finances. And, and so in this verse, when he talks about grace amount, he's not just talking about saving grace here. He's using the word grace to mean generous giving. And so he's literally saying, God is going to give you generously. Talking about our possessions and our means. He says, God is able to make the grace abound toward you. Why? That you always have all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Let's put the word of God to a test. And and if there is a passage in the Bible that bothers me in in the way that that we are as a church, and I don't mean targeting my Julia Church Christ. I'm talking about the universal church today. I want to tell you a passage that bothers me because I believe it reveals, I believe it reveals a weakness that we have. Verse 8 just said that there's not going to be a good work that the Lord's church can't do because of finances if everybody in God's church works as a conduit. We don't have time to study this phrase by phrase, but if you've never thought about that, I challenge you to go back and break that verse down this week. That verse is teaching that if everybody in the Lord's church was a conduit, God is just going to keep pouring the blessings down, pouring the blessings down, because then they are going to always give the first fruits back to God. And so think about it. If here is a person that's not going to give their first fruits to God, and here's a person that's going to give their first fruits to God, and God wants some kind of work to be done out here in front, who's he going to give the money to? Who's he going to give the increase to? Well, naturally, God would say, I have to give more to this person because they're the ones that's going to give the first fruits back so that they can be a conduit. If I give more to this person, they're simply a reservoir. They just swell up more and more. Use it on me. Spend it on me. Let me have why. I trust in it. What does this person do? I trust God. I trust in the work that God's laid out. Which one do we really, really trust? And then moving this lesson uh, to a close, look at this final uh, fact here. He didn't understand uh, the purpose in his life. Look in verse 18. So he will say, we're back to Luke 12. He'll say, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will store 
all of my crops and all of my goods. Do you understand the source in your life? Do you understand where this source is? This man was thinking, I'm the one that got these crops. I'm the one that built the first barns, and I'll be the one that builds the second barns. It never registered with this man. You know, God is the source of all this. God is the one who gave me the first barns. God is the one who gave me this first crop. God's the one that gave me now this second crop. I put the seeds in the ground, and now God's given me this next crop. He never recognized that all that he was about was about serving God. And the result of that, look, if you will, in 20 and 21, and we'll close. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich, not rich toward God. Is God opposed to individuals being wealthy? No. Some of the most godly individuals in the scriptures were very wealthy. What God is opposed to is anyone that puts their trust in riches. It doesn't matter if in our mind's eye we have a little or a lot. What matters is, am I trying to be rich toward God? In other words, am I taking everything that is in my possession, my life, the opportunities, my, my, my possessions, my finances, am I taking it to say, I recognize that all of this is from God and I am the conduit to do with this what God's will is. And the first thing, I want to prove my trust in God. The first thing I'll always do is give God back what He has asked for. This morning, do you trust God? When you think of this rich man that basked in the riches, but then that very night his soul was required of him, and he stood before God. Don't you know that his heart fainted as he realized that he'd put his trust in things that were temporal? If a man can take in a year's time and turn a paper clip into a house, what can God do in your life? I hope we'll all give careful prayerful consideration of that and make sure that everything that we have we're using it to his glory this morning if we can help you take a step closer to God if you're a believer but never been baptized into Christ we would love to assist you this morning to being immersed into Christ maybe you've been immersed into Christ and somewhere along the way you've lost the way and, and you want to come back And if we can help you in any way come as we stand as we sing